Well, as you mentioned in the welcome, we now have two positions that are opened up and we have just begun the search to try to find the right people to fill them. And I know we're not alone in these searches right now. In fact, uh, if you're taking notes, we're going to dive right in. I invite you to write this down. Have you seen any signs lately that say we're hiring? Raise your hand if you've seen any of those. Pretty much everywhere we go. I I remember a time not too long ago when it was hard to land a job in a desirable field or a desirable company. And it wasn't that long ago. If you wanted a, a job in education or law enforcement or healthcare, there was often this great big backlog for that. Anybody remember those days? And it wasn't that long ago. Those days, good jobs were um, harder to find than there was the amount of good people available for them, right? But I, I recently, I heard uh, there was one Twin Cities really large church. And they've got 40 openings right now. 40. Wow, it's crazy. Everywhere you turn, we see signs. We see signs that say, we're hiring. And we're just going to get real and, and dive right in here. If you want to write this down, have you seen any signs like this say that we're hurting? Seen any signs that say we're hurting? The signs that people are hurting all around us are, are there too, aren't they? We've mentioned so many times, people are reporting unprecedented levels of depression and anxiety and even self-harm. I've talked to a whole lot of young people that are feeling a lot of stress because they're not sure, like, what comes next? I don't feel prepared for the next stage that I'm going into. And then I've talked to a lot of people my age and, and older who feel the stress of both having kids that they're still trying to care for, maybe as they're getting a little bit older, but also parents who are needing extra support as well. There are people who aren't in a relationship who are beginning to wonder, you know, will I ever find my person? And then there's others who've walked down the aisle and promises that were made weren't kept. COVID continues to throw us curveballs. I can't count the number of people, and maybe you're, some of you, you're in that situation. You're getting your hopes up. I think I can come back. And then case counts come back up. The cost of living continues to climb, and there are so many important conversations right now that we're not really able to have because people aren't having real conversations. Important, substantive things. Race, gender, immigration. It just seems like it's getting harder and harder to find people who can even are even open to engaging in dialogue. This list of pain points, you know, that, that seem, you look at it, it says people are hurting. It seems to be growing every day. All right, next set of blanks, this. Well, could you use a sign that says, we'll get through this together. When you think of all of these things that are stressing people out and causing so much pain, you just wish there was a sign that said, all right, one that you could trust that said, we'll get through this together. And I'm not talking about the simple slogan, slogans. I was writing that down. I was remembering the early years or early days of COVID, spring of 2020, when everybody, every company was using that as their slogan. So Mercedes-Benz would come on. We're all in this together. And because we care so much for you, we'll let you buy our $100,000 plus Roadster, but you don't have to pay for it right now. We'll bill you later because we're in this together. I'm not talking about that. Not talking about that. I'm talking about real hope. Real hope that there is a way through this that we're feeling and that we're going through. There's a way through this wilderness to a promised land. If you see the signs out there that there's a lot of hurt, 
and you want to help, you want to do something about it, um, here's a sign that uh, some of you might remember Rich Rollins. Before Rich Rollins passed, he gave me this sign. And it says, you asked for a sign. Signed, God. You know, it, it, the point there is, is that sometimes the thing that we're looking for, it's, it's right here. It's right there. And, and, and we think we're searching for this, or it's hard to find, but it's, but it's right in front of it. And this is not me being cliche when I say, for these, these hurts, these pains, these, these desire for wisdom, desire for guidance, desire for hope, it's real. And, and it's here. And a lot of times we, we forget that or we just give lip service to it. And we want to press into this today. And, and if you're taking notes, I want to invite, write, write this down. Um, you know, these documents here in, in, in the scriptures, they testify to a God. He has led his followers through harder times than these, faithfully. And he invites us to be part of the solution. So here, here's the next set of blanks. The search for solutions starts where? The search for solutions really does start in the mirror. God's invited us into this. And sometimes it's about a personal thing, some of your inner work, but often it's us coming together to try to address some of these issues and these problems that we see around us. And if you are just joining us, we are now in part three of a four-part series that we're calling Passing the Torch. It's about inspiring. It's about equipping people not just to survive times like this, but to really thrive through them. And, and because we've got something real in us that enables us to get through and even thrive in crazy situations, we can pass that along to others. That's what this series is about. And what we're doing in this series, we're taking a closer look at three of the most successful handoffs in history, from Paul to Timothy, Moses to Joshua, and then from Jesus to his church. Now, at Emmanuel, we've identified six key areas that we're challenging people to grow. The one we're looking at in this series is the one we call our Pass the Torch Continuum. It's the one you'll find on the front of your bulletins. Those of you who are watching, you'll see it there on your screens. It's our Pass the Torch Continuum. All three of these handoffs that I just talked about, all three of these examples, they modeled all five of these things. They modeled shining, they modeled welcoming, they modeled equipping and trusting and learning. Last week, we talked about how this new community that Jesus of Nazareth founded, it is uniquely positioned to offer what the world needs. And we talked about how people are drawn to light, we said, but they stay for the warmth. And we pressed into those first two, shining and welcoming. And we showed how Paul to Timothy was an exceptional example of both of those things. Today, what we're going to do then, today we're going to focus on the handoff from Moses to Joshua. And I'm probably going to have to stick really close to my notes because I want to go off on so many related tangents with this. There is so much to learn from that handoff from Moses to Joshua. I think about leadership. Those of you who are leading organizations, groups, teams, this is exceptional stuff, especially in this time where we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring, hiring. What if... You could raise people up from within. What if you got better at that? Identifying talent around you. The handoff from Moses to Joshua, it is exceptional for leaders. And I'd encourage you to, to go and read about that. I mean, read those early books of the Bible, the uh, first five books, and see that, 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 that handoff. It's exceptional for leaders. And then another direction I would love to go is for parents. 
for parents. There is so much great content here for parents in this handoff from Moses to Joshua. It is a master class in modeling, in modeling. It's a master class in training, not just telling. If you're a parent, what we're going to do um, this coming week, if you want to look in your, in your inbox this coming week, I'm going to put together an ECC mail where I'm going to look at some great resources that speak to that. So be looking for that in your inbox um, where we'll talk more about that. So those are different directions we could go down. So now we're going to focus on the one. Try to stick here. We're going to focus on, to, on today on what it means to apply the, what, this, what we can learn from that handoff from Moses to Joshua what, that, what the implications are for us together with that, for as a church, together as a church family. You know, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, I have never seen more openings in churches for key positions. Never, never seen this many. And I've never seen more needs that the church is uniquely positioned to address. Never. And I am not a fan of screaming at the sky and saying, somebody should do something. Not a fan of that. So let's do it. Let's learn from Moses and let's learn from Joshua and let's commit to living these lessons out. What can we learn from this handoff? All right, if you're with me in this, Sam, with you. With you? Okay, Justin's with me. A couple of you are? Any other? All right, we're going. All right, here we go. All right, if you have your Bible with you, let's do it. Let's open up to Deuteronomy 31. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, there's a great app. You can just download, go to bible.com and there it is. All right, so here we go. We're gonna go... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31, and uh, we'll start with verses 1 through 3. This is near the end of Moses' life. Well, he's going to address that right here. They are right now on the, right on the doorstep to this promised land. They had been 400 years in slavery, another 40 years in the wilderness. They are right there on the edge as Moses is giving this really important uh, uh, speech to, to his people. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. And someone in the back, you know, yelled, happy birthday, right? You know, they did. So I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord, your God himself will go before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. All right, how old was Moses when he said these words? 120. And it's really interesting. You look at his life, 40 years, he was in the royal court in Egypt. The next 40, he was living in his father-in-law's basement, herding sheep, right? And then it wasn't till the last 40, the last third of his life, where this, these stories that we know so much about with him, where this, a lot of this really took place. God used all of that, those other pieces of his life, the first two-thirds, to prepare him for that last one-third. And this is really interesting. I don't get people sending me all the time little, like, either prophetic words or, or Bible verses. But the very day that I was working, first working on this, the very day I was thinking about this thought of this, the last third of your life, and even kind of going, man, I'm, I'm entering into that. That, that very day, not long after, I had just put, kind of put down my, my, my work to, to check my email. In my inbox, I got someone, they sent me a, a passage from Job 42, which says, and I quote, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. 
if I can talk to my friends here who are, you're, yeah, if I make eye contact with you, hopefully you're not, no one's offended here. If you're in the second half of your life, probably, second half, if I can talk to, to those of you, many of you are watching too, um, definitely that word resonated with me, but it wasn't just for me. It wasn't just for me. That word might be for you too. This could be the most important season of your life as far as impact. It might be. It might be. Um, so if, if I actually had written this down, if we just take one moment, if for those of you who are, of us who are probably in our second half, maybe in that, in that final third, um, if you just close your eyes and just personally, if you could, if this is something you want to pray along with me, just, just do that internally. God, if that's for me, if that job's for me, um, if your greatest work for me is still ahead, I'm in. I'm in. That might be a prayer that you just want to pray with, with God, whether you're here or wherever, wherever you are. All right, well, as Moses came to the end of his race, near the end, he named a man named Joshua as his successor. And this was one of the most successful handoffs in history. In an age when good people are so hard to find, let's learn from this. Here we go. There's a place to write this down. What can we learn about equipping and entrusting others from Moses and Joshua? Number one, the most successful handoffs in scripture had an exchange zone. I'm pulling out the track again, track metaphors. I love track. My favorite event in track is a four by 400 meter relay. Every team picks their top four runners at this distance. Every one of the runners goes around the track once. It's almost always the last event of the meet. So if it's close, it comes down to this race. There's a lot on the line. And so if you're in that race, when the runner before you is going, you got a great vantage point. You get to watch how that runner's doing and you are cheering them on because you don't want to be behind when that thing hits you, right? When that, when that relay baton gets to you. And then when it does come time for them to hand it off to the next runner, there's what's called an exchange zone where you've got this space where that handoff takes place. You've got some room where you're kind of running about the same pace as this uh, handoff is made. This is the model with an exchange zone. Paul used with Timothy. This is the model Jesus used with his disciples. This is the model that Moses used with Joshua. Joshua had an extended period of time where he got to watch Moses run the race. And Moses got to know Joshua better too. All right, let's go on to the second one because this, this is related to this. So what can we learn about equipping and trusting from others, from Moses and Joshua? Number one, the most successful handoff in Scripture had an exchange zone. Number two, Moses trusted people who demonstrated what? Trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. Many years before his handoff to Joshua, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he saw that Moses was trying to he was being responsible for too much. And when that happens, nobody wins. So Jethro said, okay, try this. And you can see this in Exodus 18. He goes, find, and I quote, not air quotes, and I quote for real, trustworthy, he says, find trustworthy leaders. Some are going to have the capacity to care for 10, some for 50s, some for 100s, some for 1,000. But find these trustworthy people and entrust them with responsibility. You know, Moses, he also said, you provide oversight then. If it's something they can handle, let them handle it. 
If it's a weightier measure, then weigh in. And so I want to speak right now maybe to some of our, our younger folks and others who feel like I'm ready to go. I'm ready to level up. I'm ready to take on more responsibility. If you're in a healthy organization, if you've got healthy managers, you've got healthy supervisors, the best thing you can do, if you want to be entrusted with more, be trustworthy. Demonstrate trustworthiness. It's the best thing you can do. Trust is developed through consistency over time. And Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? He said, be faithful in small matters and you'll be entrusted with what? Greater matters. Well, receiving this torch from Moses and leading the people into the promised land, that is a massive responsibility. Massive responsibility. And when the stakes go up, the mistakes are costlier. But Joshua developed trust over time. What does this have to do with us? As a church, we got to make sure that we put the right people in key positions, trustworthy people in key positions. It's so important. One of the things I learned a long time ago is, is just a little tip. Give people tasks before titles. It's a way to kind of test to see their trustworthiness. And certainly Moses did this with Joshua. We've got all kinds of examples including one of the most famous ones where Joshua was sent out with 11 other spies to go into the, to the land. And did you know only two of them, only two of them said, we can do this. They went into the land, only two of them, him and Caleb, came back and said, guys, if God is in this, we can do it. All right, let's continue on with our texts. We're gonna go verses, let's see, four through eight, four through eight. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Cheyenne and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I've commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be, do not fear or be dismayed. All right, so this section of scripture, as I mentioned earlier, is where the children of Israel, they're about to enter the promised land after 400 years of slavery and 40 more years in the wilderness. And did you notice the, some repeated phrases here along the same theme about be strong, be courageous, do not fear, do you know how many times those phrases show up here from the end of Deuteronomy to the beginning of Joshua? You know how many times? A lot. A lot. A lot of times. Because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Even the promised lands have their problems. Isn't that true? Have you ever had that? You know, you think, this is it, the promised land. I've got a cabin. Now life will be so great and easy. Or I have a boat. Now life will be so great and easy. Or I have kids. Now it'll be so great and easy. Right? It, not always. There were reasons why 10 of the 12 spies said, we can't do this. When they went into this land, it was occupied. And there were fortified cities. There were fierce warriors. Some of them Goliath-sized. It was fascinating. I did some research on this. And I came across a scholar he referenced ancient records from Egypt 
from the time of the pharaohs that they've found. These records mention, because they would invade that area from time to time, the, the pharaohs would, they mentioned encountering in the land of Canaan hundreds of chariots. And get this, they said in one account, they said as many as a hundred Canaanite of these fortified cities, a hundred of them would ally together if someone came to attack one. So be strong and courageous because this is not going to be easy. But let me show you an equation. This is our next, next blank here. You know, how, let's look at these, hand, these handoffs. The most successful handoffs, they had an exchange zone. Moses trusted people who demonstrated trustworthiness and equipped plus entrusted equals empowered. Equipped plus entrusted equals empowered. Joshua was ready, as ready as somebody could be. Moses had invested in him. Joshua was given real life opportunities to apply what he learned. And there was a deep sense that God was in this. Joshua had been empowered. Now we could just stop there because this is really about, you know, handoffs and empowerment. But there's one more really, really important thing I want to show you. And then we'll talk some very specific applications. Verses 9 through 13. It says, then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests. Now this isn't the big thing I was going to say, but I just want to point out here that Moses was a note taker. Just saying. He took notes, just saying. All right, continuing on. The sons of Levi who carried the ark and the covenant of the Lord and all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, set at the set time in the year of release at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, your God, at the place he'll choose, look at this, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law so that their children who have not known it may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. All right. This is one of many passages that you find in the Bible where we start to get this understanding that there are certain texts that are treated different than others. There are certain ancient documents this early on that the people of God were starting to realize this goes in a separate category. These are sacred. These are scriptures. These are texts that have a special level of importance for us. From the start, those who passed the torch to us, like Moses, believed that there were some texts that were different than others, that they were divinely inspired. They were sacred. They were authoritative. And Moses instructed the people just as God had instructed him. As God spoke, he wrote these things down because Moses took notes, as we've been saying here. And, and when Moses would instruct the people to do these words, or what did he, oh, here's a question. What did Moses instruct the people to do with these words to regularly read them? He built it into the fabric of their lives. On this occasion, get everybody together and let's read these words. And do you remember how many of these, how much of it we're supposed to read? All of it. Let's read all of it in their entirety. You know, Deuteronomy 6 contains excellent content about the responsibility we have as individuals 
to shine, welcome, equip, and entrust. But that's another topic for another time. If we want to pass the torch together in a world that could use some more light, we've got to be intentional about how we do this together. Together. I came across this quote as I was studying this text. This is really good. So this is a, a, a scholar that is speaking specifically to the text we've been looking at. Our finest teachers, our best resources, and our most careful thought should be directed towards showing young believers how to follow God in all life's situations. As they did then, let's get everybody together and let's be intentional about this. Let's just not assume it's going to happen. Let's be intentional about this. As I was working on this message, I remember something that my good friend Joyce Heyer said about seven years ago. And as best I can remember it, these are the last words that I heard her speak before her illness took her voice. Her last words that I remember her speaking, they were in a meeting. We were, the context of the conversation was about the direction of our youth ministry. We were at a crossroads. We had some really tough decisions to make. And the last two words that I remember coming out of my friend Joyce's mouth were, don't settle. Don't settle. With our youth ministry, with our kids, don't settle. We could have settled for good or we could as we made a decision to do. We are going to set our sights on a future that was going to be years and still is years in the making. Don't settle, she said. And we haven't and we won't because the stakes are too high. Stakes are too high. Here's hopefully where a lot of these pieces come together about the hurting and hiring and all these things and our responsibility as people. In this time, when it is so hard to find people who are giving their best to the next generation, people who know who God is and have seen what he can do, in a time where there's fewer and fewer people doing that, in a time when the hurts are off the charts with so many folks, let's run this race with all our hearts. Let's run our leg, no matter how much we have left of it, with all our hearts. Let's make this a place where every kid in kids' church, every teen in our teen ministry, they are known by name and by their situation and who they are. And they, a place where they can make great friends, great friends and find mentors. Let's not play the same four to five Bible stories on repeat. Because what did we learn from Moses? Let's, let's explore the whole thing, you know? the whole revelation of this one-of-a-kind text. Let's help them see that the Bible can be trusted. Let's help them experience the spirit of Christ. Let's help them learn, how do you discern God's voice? How do you know his will? And let's have fun. Let's have fun. Let's have the kind of fun that's, if, if we tried to explain this crazy game that we played at camp, we couldn't. You got to come and see it for yourself. Let's introduce our young people to a faith that doesn't fit the narrative that they're hearing or will hear, the narratives. Let's help them get to a place where they can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying all these things about the Bible. You're saying that the Bible says this. I've, I've read it. Can you tell me where that's written? To help them to be able to say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're saying all these things about Christians? That's not been my experience. 
with these people. When, when they were able to say, wait, 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 you tell me that God's laws are holding me back? I've seen where stepping outside of God's boundaries takes people. I've seen what happens when we trust him. I, help me understand this. Or this one. Wait, you're drawing a distinction between faith and, and science? A distinction? Well, I went on this retreat, fall of 2022. It's going to be our theme. I learned that that distinction isn't what people think it is. Let's do this. Let's give them a safe place to ask questions. Let's model disagreement well. Let's offer an attractive alternative to a culture that's trending a very, very different way. And let's be nice to them in the, in the donut line. Let's be nice to them in the donut line. And when I say let's, I mean let's. I mean, those of us who are in the final third, in the middle third, teens, our kids, all of us. Let's build something really, really, really special together. Moses got to experience some really cool things in his day. He got to experience some really cool things. And it was really interesting to see, if you study Joshua's life, how many parallels there are. In his time, Joshua got to experience pretty cool things too. As promised, God was with Joshua as he was with Moses. God spoke to Joshua as he did with Moses. Moses had the burning bush. Joshua had this, they call it a theophany of his own with the commander of the Lord's army in the desert. Waters parted for Joshua in the Jordan as they parted for Moses in the Red Sea. And then also Joshua, he got to experience these cool things of his own. He got to watch walls come falling down. He got to watch the sun stand still. Things that he never could have experienced otherwise. I can't promise what you'll experience. Can't promise what you'll experience. But if you follow Jesus, you'll have these experiences of your own. All right. Well, here's something that I do know. I may not know your experience, but I do know this. We won't experience the promised land on this side of the Jordan. We won't experience the promised land on this side of the Jordan. There's a vision that's beginning to emerge. And it's bigger than anything we've experienced so far as a church. You know, we're sitting in the studio right now. What those who come after us are going to be able to do with this is far beyond anything that we can imagine. This is going to be a place, we're beginning to start to get a picture of this, where beautiful, helpful things can be created and shared. So I'm excited to see we've got some really great equipment, got some really good things happening. We're setting it up for those who come after us to do even greater things. Um, when it comes to our youth ministry, I've started talking with Dan. We may end up trying to find a different name than ECC Teen because here's what we're starting to see. Others need something like this. And sometimes it's hard to say, I'm, I'm at another church. I don't want to send them to ECC Teen because it feels threatening. We may have to just create a North Metro youth ministry where it's bigger than us. And we're partnering with other churches and building something really amazing. I've mentioned before, it will not shock me if a year from now, a year and a half from now, right down the hall from where we are, there's not a bilingual service. And I met with Mauricio, I spent all day with Mauricio Dell, the, the pastor of, of Destino. And the more I'm talking to him, it's bigger than us you know, possibly sharing a roof, we might be helping to launch 
a movement of bilingual services. It, there's these things that we're starting to catch glimpses of, vivid glimpses of a promised land. And I tell you this, some of you who are 30 and under, 20 and under, we've got kids who are 10 and under, they're gonna be the ones to lead us into it. So our job is to shine as bright as we can. Our job is to, to equip you as best we can so that you can run full speed. They say that the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So here's the last question. Last question in our notes. What's your next step? What's your next step? Today's goal was not to just inform you, oh, here's where we're going, but to invite you. Invite you to be part of it as the Lord leads. We are just weeks away from the start of a brand new ministry season. And as a church, we are doubling down on our efforts to build something really, really special. We reaffirmed it last night. Josh is one of our elders. Christy's one of our elders of our priorities. We got a lot of priorities. A1 is youth, kids, priority A1. We're gonna do everything we can to really invest in, in you. In fact, it was interesting, almost our entire staff over the course of this next year, almost all of us, if not all of us, will somehow be directly or indirectly involved with our teens. So we're, we're all in as a church. And here's two things that all of us can do. Inside your bulletin, if you're here, you have an insert that looks like this with all six of our continuums. Why don't you pull that out and we'll put it on the screen for those of you at home. You can screenshot this. Um, these are all of our continuums. And the two that make the biggest impact, if you want to make a difference with our teens this year, serve and give. What I want to challenge you to do is try to identify where you're at and ask God, what's my next step? What's my next step? And again, that goes for all of us, regardless of our age, because we are in this together. We got this exchange zone. Let's run. Knowing that God is in this work. He's parted wall, parted waters before. He's brought down walls. Let's be strong. Let's be courageous and see what he does. Let's give people a glimpse of what's to come. Let's pray and we'll close with this great song. Lord, we want to thank you that we have so many examples of people who've gone before us, people who faced odds so much greater than the odds that we face. Help us in our day to be strong and courageous. Help us in our day corporately together here to equip, to entrust the next generation that they can go into promised lands that we can only see from a distance. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.